0: One second, think of this If everybody's taught the same thing right? There's a nationally published curriculum So you you go to school, you learn exactly the same thing As the kids that you went to school with All the way through grade 12 And then they tell you go out and be different Go out there, make a difference Go out there, realize your full potential Well how the hell are you supposed to do that If you're all taught (laughs) the same thing And you're competing against a guy who you went to school with since kindergarten Money's not the most important thing right? People are the most important thing. Human capital is more valuable than financial capital. There's going to be a time in the very near future where the greatest instructors in the world, right, make themselves available over the the internet. Tune in for for class. All
1: right, so we are going and it is what time? 10:33. We're at 1033. Good morning, guys. This is uh, going to be the first episode of what we're going to be calling the Maker of Kings podcast. There's going to be a lot of things that we're going to be talking about. But most importantly, um, today we want to get across the message of what the maker of Kings is, why we're sitting around a table in Kaka'ako in a building that was built two years ago in, a, in a basically a frontier business community out here. Why are there four people sitting here um, and making a podcast about it and really just get into the details of what you can expect from a podcast and why there's going to be value in this show as opposed to any other thing you could listen to out there in the sphere of media we got today. So this morning, there's, uh, we'll do a round of introductions, just basically let everybody know who it is. Who at the table? Um, starting with Mr. Dr. Drew over here.
2: Okay, so I spent 10 years in the special operations community. Um, I was in North Carolina. I decided to come out here and be with my father, James Keener, here. Um, we moved out. Edit. Here.
1: <laughs> Later. Later.
2: Later. <laughs> um, so I came out here back in 2016. And as I was transitioning out, I was trying to figure out what exactly I wanted to do. So we started to sum up on a ton of ideas, right? So initially, we started out looking into, like, the drone industry, right? My uh, father had an opportunity to acquire a drone company. And I had a background in flying UAVs inside the military. And so we were like, okay, how could I use my GI Bill in order to facilitate training and schooling, right? So, yeah, there was a few programs that existed out there. Um... But then you figured out that the drone community is a little bit too high skilled, so you couldn't mass produce a ton of veterans coming mm. out, right? So then we started really thinking about what could we get a, a mass what could we mass produce? And handyman and people who are, you know, serving the general service and maintenance field were pretty easy to mass produce. Yeah.
1: And that's kind of a theme that you're going to see throughout the show is, is correction, of course. Thinking that you're right all the time and, and you got it right the first time and it might not be the best way to go. Readjusting fire is a huge part of what we're going to talk about on the show as well. Senor Rich over there across the table. Uh, we're going to learn a little bit about Rich real
3: quick. Where are you from, Rich? I grew up in Chicago. I stayed there until I was 18. I went to Penn State, graduated Penn State with a degree in architecture and uh, ended up moving out to Hawaii to start a construction company. I initially came out here when I was 23, started just doing renovations, smaller projects, and steadily over the years kind of had a one-man show, two-man show, three-man show. Um, And just recently, I was able to be introduced to Andrew at our CrossFit gym. We started working out, becoming friends, and before I know it, um, I was sitting at a table with Andrew and his dad. One Sunday morning, um, and had a lot of inspiration on direction that I was never given or shown in college. It was extremely um, pivotal point in my life when I started to understand that the direction I've been going down is completely different when, than what they teach you in school. Mm-hmm. Um, and from that point forward, I've ridden the coattails of Jim over here and <laughs> Mr. <he's> Cleaner, <laughs> Mr. Keener's cleaners. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, and really been striving for his leadership and direction.
1: Another good theme that the show is going to follow, I'm sure, is, is uh, how we fall into the fold and how we're learning that the conventional knowledge we got from conventional places isn't always what's working because we don't live in a conventional world. I think it's going to be another generated theme from the show as well where we kind of fall into that uh, time and time again, recorrecting course, redirecting fire, and then applying these concepts that we've been learning. And hopefully this show, hopefully this podcast, been an exfoliation of that so people can really get the benefit from it as well. Um, and we've been hinting at uh, a, a person named Fleener who we uh, <laughs> shall we'll figure out a yeah, couple different ourselves. names. <laughs> <laughs> the aliases. Um, and I think that's all going to come uh, in due time as well. But uh, very simply... Uh, my name is Jim
0: Keener. I'm a serial entrepreneur, uh, international businessman. I primarily keep 93% of my holdings outside of the United States, operating around the world. Um, 3% of my holdings in the U.S. One of the companies that Andrew brought up was Chapman Aerospace, Um, the majority shareholder in that company. They're the first FAA-licensed drone company. Uh, We're looking at doing homeland security contracts, and so that was the first interface with bringing Andrew out of the service and putting him into one of the companies that I have. Um, Along the way, the Maker Kings was created, and the idea behind that was to document the journey of young entrepreneurs twenties and thirties going from zero revenue to a billion dollar valuation company and how we do it, why we do it, uh, the purpose behind, uh, how we build our tribe, the culture that we create, um, focusing more on a cooperative culture rather than a competitive culture inside the workforce and being, um, really competitive outside of the workforce in the marketplace. So the idea is to develop different leadership strategies, show the 21st century business model, something that's currently not taught in educational uh, institutions around the world, and uh, what makes us different and why we're the
1: best in the world at doing what we do. I think it's awesome. I think the, 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 the thing I'm most excited about personally and selfishly for me uh, doing this podcast is... Uh, we're in a non-traditional world these days. College is, is, is one thing, but it's not the key thing anymore. There's a lot of people making money and doing extremely well and succeeding in spheres that circumnavigate the college system. And it doesn't blow my mind that the wealth of knowledge and the wealth of of, uh, really product is going to come from somebody sitting at a table with a microphone and a podcast. And in the future, that's not a crazy thing. Ten years, 20 years ago, you needed to go to college to be able to succeed. You needed to have that institutionalized structure to succeed. And you're living proof that that's not the case anymore. And I think as we go along, people will see um, with the proliferation of the Internet and and, and information that's available – a podcast can really be the key of source of information for a lot of people to learn and grow and take their businesses to the next level. Um, bringing in the maker of Kings into all of this, um, you, you, you hinted on it that the goal is to show and to document so people can see not only the, the principles but the functionality of these principles sure. as we're going. And as time goes on, we'll be able to see those in effect and in work as we go throughout our community and people take these things into their practices. And if I'm not mistaken, that's the goal of what we're doing here.
0: That's 100% here. the goal. I mean, I believe that traditional education has failed us, I think, that the way we go about um, We transfer knowledge in in any number of different ways, but the way it's been done through the history of time has been spoken word. I mean, you never put all your emphasis in an educational institution, and essentially my my belief is the educational institution has become a babysitter for unproductive Mm. leaders and unproductive business professionals that don't have the ability to put people to work, so they need to find a holding pin. Mm. So, um, I mean, if you just think about it logically, if in anything in your adult life, if you spent 16 years focusing all your time and attention and effort on one specific area, you'd be proficient in that skill set. And what happens is you go through school, you get out, you, you go through grade 12, you get out, you can't get a job. So they say, well, you need to go to college. So then you go to college, you go four more years, you get out they say, well, I can't pay you what you want because you don't have any experience. Mm -hmm. So they go, okay, I can't get a job after now going 16 years. And they go, I'm going to go back to graduate school I'm going to get my MBA or I'm going to get a PhD or a doctorate degree. And all those things, if that was the solution, right? If you look at overall around the world, how many people are educated, then why are only 6% Mm -hmm. of the people wealthy, right? So if that was the solution, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. But I think it's a failed system. They saddle you with tremendous amount of debt along the way, right? And so people who don't take that path typically go into a line of service, which is the veterans. And uh, what's so important about that is, you know, you have people who are willing to risk their life for this country and fight for it. They get out. And they're told to go to school, right? Well, these people, if they could have went to school, they would have went to school out of high school. They wouldn't mm-hmm. win, they wouldn't win the service. The service isn't your primary selection group. You're just going to go. You're going to go there and spend your time, risk your life. But uh, then you got to understand, additionally, that everybody who serves in the military doesn't fight, right? So the majority of those people are in support roles. A small percentage of those people fight. And then when they get out, you have a warfighter who's going to transition into an educational situation where they're going to school every day. Those people don't understand them. And so what our philosophy is is to build more of a, of a tribe, more of a family environment, and we bring people together. And so a good example of that is in our company, you have peak performers and you have people that aren't performing up to their potential. And we clearly identify that. But we hire people as if you're adopting a child, right? So when you adopt a child, you adopt a child, you take the good, the bad, the ugly. You take everything, right? You give them the keys to the house. Sometimes they're responsible for your biological children. You, you, you don't really choose all the traits that come with them, right? And they don't choose the parents that adopt them. Mm. But overall, when you build a company based on these principles, then what you do is you create the family. And you don't just create a family environment, you create a family. So when they're good, that's great. When they're bad, that's fine. We have to overcome those obstacles. And so when you look at the companies that last a long period of time, those companies succeed based on the fact that they employ the people that they want to be involved in, right? Their tribe is what makes a difference. It's our people versus their people in the marketplace. We put out a product that produces tremendous value, and the customer decides which they want to be a part of, Right. So if you look at the common thing amongst all our men, the common theme is, is that they all understand that they're wanted, accepted, and they feel valued. Most companies, that's not the culture that's created, right? Most companies, it's carrot and stick, bigger carrot, bigger mm-hmm. stick. If you don't do it, we're going to hit you harder. If you don't do it, you're out of here. What we do is we incentivize the behavior we want. We disincentivize the behavior we don't want, right? But they have behavior modeling. So they have people that are in their command, right? <clears throat> and in my belief, If you have authority, it should be transferred into responsibility, right? So you could be a positional leader, someone's boss, but in fact you're responsible for that person's performance. You you could use your authority to steer behavior or you could get them to want what you want, not do what you want, right? So it's just a different way of operating. It's a different way of building companies and it's something that's made us successful where other people have failed, right? We've made our greatest advancements when there's setbacks in the marketplace. We made our greatest advancements when there's recessions, depressions. Anytime there's a situation, that's where we do our greatest work, right? So when the times are good, we do great. When the times are bad, we do better. And so that's the model, right?
1: And I I want to unpack a couple things in there because there'll be time to to, to greater expand on all of these topics that we're talking about today. We want to kind of get a a shotgun blast of information so people know what they're tuning into. But you said a couple things that I think are are, are validating and need to be unpacked at this level. And that is, number one, we're talking there's a great element of people in the service industry, not just service to our country, but uh, policemen, firemen. There's a great emphasis in this company on that, and we're going to get into that later, but it should be known that there are two veterans at the table as well. Um, So speaking from experience on two completely different levels of military service, um, and we were both drawn here, so the proof of concept is the fact that you've got the veterans are interested, and that's for sure. The other thing is we're talking about the difference between conventional institutionalized education in the business sector versus practicality and what's working on the streets. Also, we have somebody here, currently in the the institutionalized version as well as going through what we could call Fleeners University Um, we've got both here at the table so when we talk about these concepts we're not reading from a book we're we're actually sitting here we're actually in this experience and it's going to be awesome to get that duality because you brought up something earlier you said there's a carrot and stick model where you're saying okay you want to move up the next levels here's what we've got for you here's what we need you to do as opposed to you're valued you, you feel that value you feel like you're a member of a team and to me, it'd be curious is what sections of the books in school they're talking about, how to get your people to buy into your system, how to make them feel valued. I, would, I think it's a far stretch to even think that that's in a book somewhere no, it's that not. you're learning.
2: No, definitely not. You know, what's funny is that there's not a single MBA program in the world that teaches how to build an exponential organization, right? Mm. And that's what we're learning firsthand, how, how to do that, right? And so, I mean, just to back, um, to back that up, um, when you're running a business, you're always concerned with managing costs, And cost of demand, right? Mm -hmm. The cost of supply and the cost of demand, right? So the internet has allowed you to drop the cost of demand exponentially. And we're a marketing company as well, so we know how to acquire customers cheaper than our competition, right? Well, with the exponential organization, you've
1: you figured out how to um, drop the cost exponentially using the devices you have to you, but are there, is that, is that, uh, calling the internet advice, of course, but is that something that they're teaching in books or is that something no, that they learning, don't teach hey? that at
2: all. And so, then growth through acquisitions, right? So being able to scale nationwide, mm-hmm. you can't do it the old school way because it'd
0: take you 60 years to get to where we want to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to scale globally through acquisitions, not just nationwide. I mean, the process works internationally because it's, it's back to the human need, right? Everybody's needs are the same around the world. So... What we failed to do is we failed to understand that we have a global marketplace now rather than Um, a a national marketplace. And uh, because of my experience working abroad, I understand the way the systems work, right? If you need a plumber in Spain, you still need a plumber in Spain. If you're in Italy, you need a plumber. If you're in Costa Rica and your toilet's backed up, guess what you need? It just flushes the other direction. Exactly. (laughs) And so very few companies are doing that, right? They're not looking at a global expansion model. They don't build a company that can expand, contract, replicate, duplicate, right? And export Mm. those systems and processes around the world.
1: I heard that on a podcast two days ago. They were talking about the first generation of people to be truly global are actually the millennials. If you look at the way we classify generations, the greatest generation, the baby boomers, Gen Xers, Gen Yers, they even had a Pepsi generation for about three months on a really clever marketing campaign. <laughs> but if you notice all of those, all those terms, the generation, the greatest generation, the baby boomers, yep. those are all specific to America. Sure. The other countries weren't classifying and the way they classify them, you think, oh, it's just a term. No, there's actually subsets of society that follow certain rules and you can see the transitions over time when Gen Xers stopped being a thing mm-hmm. and millennials kicked in. There's a very distinct set of societal patterns that we stop following and we adopt new ones. In the past, that's been confined to America. Millennials are the first global generation of people and it's because the the the, the um the, the proliferation of the internet and how it ties everybody together. Sure. So, what you're saying is back not only in the business world, yeah. but also societally around the world. Millennials are everywhere and they follow a societal subset of principles yeah. that nobody wrote down, but everybody follows. This time it's all around the world. And it's, it's lending proof to the concepts that you're talking about with global need for a plumber. It's the same yeah. thing, it's, it's an international marketplace, is what we have. But I
0: think the businesses are not being built people first, they're being built <clears throat> profits or product first, right? And we're the other way. Profits come. But people are our most important asset. Human capital is what you'll hear me discuss on a regular basis, and that's the most important thing. And putting the right player in the right position makes us more effective. And we talked about some of the exercises that we do to, to show how that works, right? Which is, um, if you take a basketball team, right? And you take your starting lineup and you take your second string. You take that starting lineup and you make them play out of position. So the the point guard would play the center and so on and so forth. And you put the second string and they all play their their position. The second string, even though they're less talented, will be more effective and they'll win the ball game, right? Because you got the wrong player playing the wrong Mm. position. And so that's the coach's mentality. So we talk about the difference between being a boss, a leader, and a coach and when to play what role and why you do. So bosses are pushy. Bosses are the ones trying to get you to hit these targets. Bosses are real drivers, right? Leaders pull. Leaders pull your your potential out of you and help you reach your full potential. And coaches, they coach during the game and they teach during practice. And so we have specific times where they focus on the teaching and specific times where they're focused on the coaching. But relationships are what's most important because you will work your ass off to achieve your goals, but if you don't hit that target, those numbers won't hold you accountable, right? But if you have the relationship with the person and they feel like they're going to let you down, they'll work tirelessly to achieve their objectives rather than let you down because it's the accountability. So what holds people accountable is the way they feel about the relationship with their people more so than if they hit revenue targets or not. So... We're not focusing on the right thing. We're not focusing on human capital. We're not focusing on the personal development of the individuals. And so the Maker of Kings is, is just about that. It's about creating a young man that's fractured, broken, or not put together, building that person correctly. And once you build a man, his whole world falls into place, right? We talked the other day, me and you, about the 1% doctrine, right? Get 1% better every day, every way. 1% better son, 1% better husband, 1% better partner, 1% better brother. Whatever the situation is, 1% better. And that comes through an investment, right? Investment of time, not money. So when we realize that the finite thing that we do have is time, not money, we can raise more money, right? But the goal is, for us, is to not accept venture capital funding, right? To build it from within, to to build these models effectively, and the businesses last over 100 years, right? So if the business is going to last over 100 years, it's going to have to have a culture, it's going to have to have systems and processes where ordinary people can get extraordinary outcomes. So there's there's a foundation to this whole thing, there's a method to this madness, right? And the majority of businesses that I get brought into are because they're failing companies, right? Very few companies do do I get involved with that are already doing very well. Most of them have a huge upside, have a lot of potential. They already have accepted finances. They've already accepted venture capital. These people are in fear of losing their capital, right? So they go out and they find a fixer, right? And in order to bring a fixer in, you have to give up something. So you have to give up ownership, management, control, or money one of those things you have to give up. And so through my acquisitions of companies and how I get involved 99% of them I don't I don't invest a dollar. Right? I invest my time because my job is to make a rain. I'm a rainmaker.
1: So when we say and it's a recurring theme we're hearing again is we we're talking about we a lot and we hear we and it's it's seems intrinsic to you guys because you guys all buy in. But when you sit around a table with a, with any organization, you don't hear we all the time. So when we say we, it's an emotional buy-in that people have already given. People have already surrendered that buy-in. But to our listeners today I want to explain a little bit more about we when we say we because I, you know in my months of knowing you guys I've, I've unpacked a lot and I've learned a lot about what's going on and I'm one millionth of the way in uh, what I want our listeners to have today is an understanding of who you are because I think a lot of people are there, there's just a lot of media there's a lot of content and everybody has an idea about something but when you meet somebody of substance of consequence somebody who's made hundreds of of dollars in the business world somebody who's taken other businesses multiple facets of business I mean the spread of business that you've been involved with made sold all the consulted for it doesn't have a genre it doesn't have a a, a common denominator it's all things and you chalk that up to the business as a religion so backing up a little bit about why we're here today why you're in Hawaii with lesser experienced people half your age why are we here having this conversation today where did that come from well, the
0: idea was, you know, I started out, I built a ton of different businesses, fixed businesses all over the United States, and that was my primary focus. I was on the road 20 plus days out of the month. Um, I was uh, on an airplane, I'd say, 20 days out of the month, right? Suiting and tying all the time. Uh, just living that lifestyle, right? Living out of, Living out of a suitcase, just... Um, and I was a single person, so it was easy for me to do that. Um, at about 25 years old, I was working in a company where I ran into my now wife and realized that I climbed the ladder of success and found out it was leaning against the wrong wall, right? So I made it to the top. I had the, the, the house, the car, <clears throat> excuse me, I had everything that everyone dreamed of and found out that, uh, it was not fulfilling, right? So you can have success, you can have riches and still not have fulfillment. And so I climbed back down the ladder and started from scratch and said, this time I'm building it for fulfillment and it's it's fun if you can share it with somebody else and so I started the process of transitioning out of the continental U.S. back to Hawaii and uh, started from scratch. I said, we're going to start from zero, build it back up and show exactly how it works and document the thing all the way through so that uh, everybody could benefit from it. And it's not just something that's I'm doing. It's I, me, mine is out of the vocabulary. Now it's we, us then together we can. And so it's more of a team sport. Success is a team sport. And uh, if you're going to do it, it's better to do it with people that you care about. And if you're going to build it, why not build it with your family and friends? And if if those uh, people come into the family they're part of the family right so our philosophy is blood makes you related and love and loyalty makes you family. Mm-hmm. So if you uh, see the common theme amongst all my men, you see that the you see all of the interviews. They all talk about the culture that we create and how it's more than a job, that it's an opportunity, and they understand that. So a job, you're basically trading time for money, and an opportunity, you're basically getting involved and in putting your blood, sweat, and tears in for something, a cause greater than yourself, because you know it's not about you. It's about us and uh, how we can come together and make a difference globally, is build a platform where ordinary people can get an extraordinary outcome, right? And so we chose the veteran employment platform as a
1: challenge and so far here we are. Mm. And I like that because one of the biggest things I've noticed is your biggest source of clout, as far as I'm concerned, comes from your continuity. It comes from the things you said two months ago still being the same now. The people you're surrounded with still having those same concepts, not only your continuity, but being able to breathe continuity into your system and into your flow. So as we talk and as we go on and as these podcasts keep coming out, I think people are going to see that and notice that. If there was... The common theme in this is that there's a different way to do things and a better way to do things. This entire hour to two hours we're going to take out of our schedules is just in keeping with those principles. It's a give. There's no take here. None of us are bringing home a salary from this. None of us are walking away from here with anything other than the knowledge we get from it. And it's a give on your part. And that's what I'm excited about. Each week we're going to be focusing on different things, or each show, rather, we'll sure. be focusing on different topics. And the one that I really wanted to make clear this time is why, why there's a microphone in front of four people right now. I think you just said it right. It's about teaching these principles, teaching these things that are not going to be taught in schools. Because, Drew, what paragraph in your book talked about breeding a family into your business? Oh,
2: none. It's just usually <laughs> it's execution, X's and O's. There's no... I mean, I have interjected about something he said too. So what, what's interesting about the dynamic that me and him have, because I'm his, you know, father son, is that you know we're best friends, father son, you know, and partners. So it's a, it's a very unique um, dynamic that we have. And I will say, there's a lot of competition. I don't know how you are with your dad or your father, but between father and son or daughter son or however, it,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, however the dynamic is, there's a lot of competition. Here, there's zero competition. My dad's sole goal, and he preached to me since I was 10 years old, is to make me better than him whether that's a businessman, whether that's a father, whether it's just a man in general. That's his sole goal. That's his legacy. He's trying to, you know... Perpetuate the future and make sure that it 1% better? Exactly. Yeah. I know that's a huge freaking
1: feat, but yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? But that's the
2: goal. <laughs> and I, and I, trust me, by the pressure I get and the, the touches I get every day, I know that's what you're trying to do.
1: <laughs> right, right. I know. You know. And that's going to be a cool thing, too, having the different dynamic, because you guys have been working together for a long time, um, and, and you chose your own path. You didn't, by any means, right. do the whole uh, the uh hang out at the other thing. Yeah. You went on your own and did your own thing, and we we're going to oh, have plenty absolutely. of time. If anything, like it was that. like a
2: he gave me like the, what the hell are you doing <laughs>
1: like, time to come back dog. <laughs> we got something do. <laughs> yep and then we've got rich across the table too uh, really cool uh, dynamic to add into it somebody that wasn't tied in that wasn't brought in the family wasn't invested intrinsically but found the value there um, kind of Following that trend of people finding value in in, in something they didn't know existed. And you didn't, you graduated too. You went to school. What did you go to school for?
3: Um, Architecture at Penn State. So I graduated from Penn State in 2008.
1: How much business do they have to breed into an architecture degree? Like, I mean, it's Uh, not like you're going out there and building and then that's how you get paid. You've got to solicit your business, you've got to earn business. How much of that architecture degree is there bred in, uh, uh, like a business course bred into that?
3: Nothing. The only thing I can say that I, I, I would appreciate from college that I take through now just from the business world is problem solving hmm. and that's something that's not taught in school but in architecture it's problem solving systems that you're whether it's you know, structural, your grading plans. That, that would be something that I took away from college, but that is about it when it comes to <laughs> business.
1: <laughs> and it, it falls only, back into yeah, that memory. Yeah. it's we... not even
3: directly relatable. It, it's an indirect. It, it
1: was something you got out of it that yeah. somebody else may not have. It wasn't something you read in print. Yeah. And I'm hoping that that's the common theme from this show that we bounce exactly. back to again, something that wasn't there intrinsically, but something you pulled out of it. And I yeah. think everybody will be able to get that, um, just from conversations here. And, uh, Without even going any further, we've done introductions. I want to dive into what we were talking about yesterday because what we talked about mm. yesterday on the phone with working backwards on problems, mm. I think that's a, it's a great topic for us to chat on because there's not a single person in business for themselves out there that doesn't have a problem that they're thinking of right now, that's in their head right now, and they're waiting for you to answer. So we talked about working backwards. Yeah. Well, to... I was going to say one thing on the educational
0: thing, right? So this just for one, end, one second, think of this. If everybody's taught the same thing, right? There's a nationally published <laughs> curriculum that by law, you have to you have to train <laughs> these kids, right? Everyone gets trained the same way, right? So you, you go to school, you learn exactly the same thing as the kids that you went to school with all the way through grade 12. Now, that's the first separation is if you go into university or you go into junior college or where you go, right? Or you go in the military. At that point, they then take... Teach you exactly what everybody else is learning at the same time, right? Mm. So, they do all these things. By the time you graduate college, you have this debt that's been created, right? Or you have this time loss. That's that's one of those two things. You have to give up your time or your money or both. And then they tell you, go out and be different, right? Go out there, make a difference. Go out there, realize your full potential. Well, how the hell are you supposed to do that if you're all taught (laughs) the same thing and you're competing against a guy who you went to school with since kindergarten, right? Yeah. And this your best friend. You went, you graduated school, he's an architect, you're an architect. Where do you go from there? They don't teach you how to feed yourself, right? They don't teach you how to hunt and kill. What they teach you how to do is to go out and get a job, right? Now, my philosophy was they should be going to school at eighth grade. You should be getting out of school eighth grade. Go get a job. There should be jobs available for those people. You go through high school. After high school, there should be jobs available for people because the whole idea of an education is to train you to be employable, right? Mm. So you can learn how to take care of yourself. Because until you can take care of yourself, you can't take care of a family.
2: Hmm.
0: And so then we create all these social systems or these safety nets or whatever. And they say, well, we're going to give you this. You're going to get welfare. You're going to get unemployment. You're going to get social security disability. When it's my responsibility to take care of my family and my tribe. It's nobody else's responsibility. It's not the government's responsibility to take care of my kids. It's not the government's responsibility to take care of my older, my mother, my grandmother. It's nobody's responsibility but me and my family, right? And we, we transition that away from our personal responsibility and our personal accountability and it's somebody else's job, right? So that's one of the other fallacies that we have. We're not creating a, a, a company that has a welfare system because our company takes care of our people, right? And if you look at the greatest companies, right, when they have a contraction in the marketplace, they do two things. They either say, "Hey, we're all going to suffer a little bit together Or they go, B, we're going to furlough people, and it's going to be unpaid weeks off, and you get to figure out who takes those days off, and people who can afford to take those four weeks off unpaid. They can give them to somebody else who can't afford to take those four. So you can trade time, right? Those things are the difference between the winners and losers over time, over. You don't need sick leave. If your mother's sick and you need to go take care of her, you go, well, you got to accumulate more sick leave. That's not how it works here. You need, you need sick leave. Take all the time you need, right? You need time. You get all the time you need. And our other guys will suck it up. They'll work a little harder to make sure that you're covered so that you can go out and take care of business. That's the kind of company that I want to be a part of. And that's the kind family that I want to be a part of. Hmm. So my philosophy is not just money's not the most important thing, right? People are the most important thing. Human capital is more valuable than financial capital because you can, you can run up loans and go bankrupt, but you can't bankrupt relationships, right? So you will let down the bank before you let down your partner. In sure. a minute. I've seen people do it. For right? sure. But you don't have to let anybody down if you build it right. You can actually do it right. You can use conscious capitalist principles. You can apply those principles so you're not affecting anybody else but yourself. Make good decisions. Grow organically. Uh, we're, I mean, we're, we're running a zero-debt company on track to do $6 bucks right? Now, that doesn't sound impressive if you think about 16 months ago. Well, we only had one or two people. Well, four people, right? That's how many people you have, mm-hmm. four. So we had six people total. 16 months ago, right? So now we're on track for 50, and our goal is to grow through people, right? So once we build the prototype, once we're a 50-person operation, now we have a scalable model. Once we have the scalable model, then we have the ability to start our acquisition train, and then we'll go out and we'll imply our principles, we'll impress our systems, our processes, our (coughs) culture in companies who are underperforming, we'll acquire those companies, and that's how we'll build this model to a billion dollar
1: valuation. And this is something that's taken me a month to figure out. So let's, let's give them a little bit more on that. When we're talking about this company, yeah. we're talking about... Handy Andy Handy Hawaii. Andy Hawaii, right? Yeah. Handy Andy Hawaii does handyman work, right? A broad scope construction of... Construction and handyman,
0: yeah. Okay, Service, and, Service and construction. And we're
1: going to talk more about the military element of that and how yeah. that unfolds and how that... Uh, yeah. or, or rather, how it wraps up into it. But when we talk about... Companies that are around the handy handy model. We're talking about licensed electricians, Correct. licensed plumbers, uh, carpenters, yep. all these different things that are going to be needed for the standard service industry. Sure. And I'm sure there's a better way verbally, I could probably wrap it well, up. Well it's
0: tradesmen, but but here's the here's the problem, right? When you when you create a one tool player, right, then all you put in their toolbox is a hammer, right? So when you think like a hammer, everything you see is a nail. Right. And so what happens is you get these kids, they come out, they go, I want to be a tradesman, they go, okay, we well, got one option, you go in the union, right? Or you go to work for yourself. So if you go to work for yourself, now you have to learn multiple trades. So now you have to have multiple tools. But there's a, there's a big trap that they set for you, right? Which is once you get outside of the business to consumer market, right? And you go to the business to business market, now you carry a receivable. So the size that you grow you run up $30,000 in, in receivable, you have to carry that receivable for 45 to 60 days in order to, for you to get paid. <laughs> so that's the first major hiccup that young operators make is they don't have the cash flow. and They don't understand a cash flow requirement. They don't understand. We just discussed this yesterday, right? Okay. So if you don't understand the model and understand how to project properly and you don't have the capital and you don't have the training, then you, you don't achieve your, your directive, right? So the reality is, is we're building five tool players. So they're going to be plumbers, electricians, and general carpenters, basically. Like, They can do painting, they can do anything related to building a home, anything in that that space. And that person is called the the master technician. And we built a company with with Amanda, the National Academy of Construction Trades. And that whole school is built upon building the master technician program, right? So when we send one of our technicians out there, they can fix an appliance, they can paint your wall, they can fix your plumbing leak, they can swap out an electrical outlet, they can put in an air Conditioning system, they can service an air conditioning system, they can do all the things that you need, and that's one technician. We're right now in the marketplace, our competition, you have to call six to eight different people to get that to get done. So hmm.
1: let's go through a common instance. If one of my clients in the real estate industry has a leaky pipe, yep. okay, great. Plumber's gonna put his hand through the wall, yeah. he's gonna fix the pipe, but he's not gonna replace that wall. He's not going to dry it out. He's not going to do the mold remediation. He's not going to replace the drywall. He's not going to paint it. And Lord forbid, if it's around any type of finish trim, he's not going to do that either. So what we're talking about is a really simple problem solution industry where we took a problem that's multifaceted and wrapped it up into one conglomerate of a person that can actually handle the work in its entirety, one shot, one kill. We've solved a problem in the workplace. Major problem. Major problem. Yeah. So now when we talk about expanding, because we're going to grow. We are going to take over globally. A plumber, electrician. And a drywall guy in Spain does the same job as a plumber, drywall, and technician Correct. over here, or electrician in America. Yep. So when we talk about expanding, when you keep hearing this term, we, I want our listeners, listeners to understand that we're not talking about a broad... Uh, you know, ambiguous company. We're talking about a service company that yeah. can handle a multitude of different tasks that are all affiliated with one problem. Correct. So, this we don't let it be ambiguous, it's very definitive. That's the we. Yeah. And so, you can take a one topic and you can focus on what is the company that we is, what is this expansion they're talking about. That's what it is. And I sure. think it's good to clarify at the beginning. I'm glad that you wrapped it up like that into one package. So, with that being said, there's a large military component to this as well because a lot of the people getting out of the military are more tradesmen than they are, are scholars. And there's two of us here that got out of the military. I was for sure a tradesman. I was a mechanic, right? And I fixed a really stupid machine to get trained in because there's not a bunch of helicopters floating around that need mechanics. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, it kind of worked out that way. And Drew, what would you consider yourself exiting the military?
2: Just uh, a tactician, a guy who could just literally do anything.
1: Right, a multi, a multi assessable tactician. But what was the demand for that in the marketplace?
2: Uh, it's just a matter of where I wanted to go. It wasn't necessarily a demand. It was just a matter of choosing what you wanted
0: to do mm. and be a part of something that's good. Yeah. That's bigger than yourself and greater than yourself. Kind of like the military aspect. That common transfer. Well, I personally did not want him to go back in. Like, he had a great opportunity to go make good money working back in that field as a contractor. And, uh... <laughs> I didn't want to have nothing to do with it. I mean I felt it's is a waste of his time at that point. You've served, you've you've proved that you can rise to the top and you can become a tier one operator and that's that's impressive. But enough is enough. It's time to, to move on and to bigger and better things and, and be a force multiplier in the real world, right? In the civilian world and, and get out of that military stuff.
1: And I think you're serving your country is a, is a term that we label a lot of times to be something underneath the flag. When you can serve your country a lot better, what I'm finding if you're doing the right things in the community, you can provide a lot more opportunities for veterans yeah. um, and, and that's pushing our country forward in itself so service doesn't have to be under the shadow of a flagpole, service can be relegated to serve your community, yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. Right
3: think, there. think how large his reach will be when we start growing in comparison to what it would have been if you just went to become an con- um, independent contractor with exactly. a firm.
1: And personally, that's that's why I, I find myself at this table, is because the sight and the scope of what we can do for the veteran community here is above and beyond. And again, that's another faction of what we're going to talk about on the show as the weeks go on. Um, but I, I, I find that that, for me, is my pull. And I think there's going to be a lot of people out there that find that for their pull as well.
2: I think the fact that we're, ba- we are, we're veterans mm-hmm. helping veterans, it gives us, you know... It's going to um, promote more outreach. Mm-hmm. Because if you're just a guy looking to promote fine veterans, I mean, that's cool. Mm-hmm. But we're actually veterans helping veterans, so it has a little unique touch to it.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah, and the, it, to me, the word that comes to mind is authenticity. Mm-hmm. The authenticity is there. Because you can talk about, oh, veterans, help, yeah, I want to help veterans. What are you doing? And when I sat with Jim the first time, he actually said something uh, that caught my attention. And it was, what if the person that makes the difference in the veteran community is just a business person? What if it isn't the VA? What if it isn't all these associations and all these corporations, not corporations, but all these organizations that are at the government level that are there to lobby on our behalf? What if it isn't them? What if it well, us, look, is
3: us? You look at the difference between those and what we're bringing to the table, too, is we're not only taking them out of the service, but we're also growing them. You know, we're growing them as people and as individuals. And where, where else can you go and take someone out of the service and start mm. to grow them individually? What, what did you say? Chili's was the
1: number one. Chili's
3: is the number one. Yeah. Number
1: okay. one employer of veterans outside of the U.S. Vet Correct. system. Yeah. Yep. But, yeah.
3: but are they growing them to become something better to mm. put them back in the community sure. to expand their reach? Yep.
1: And we, and like we talked about then, we can appreciate Chili's hiring the people, but it's not about hiring them; it's but about growing. giving them a place to thrive.
3: An opportunity. Yep. yep. And the opportunity is exponential with us, whether it be here, or whether it be their next transition point. And we're always asking them, "Where do you want to go? What do you want to be? Where do you see yourself in five years?" Uh, I, we sat down with, with one of our guys last night, and it's something we continually ask. But when you go back to all the previous employers, never there was never one employer that asked me that. There was never one college course hmm. that asked me where do I want to go, where do I want to be. There's not one college course that asked me, "Hey, this is how you grow a person, or this is how you grow yourself,
0: hmm.
3: or put in practical application." So many times I call Jim that I'm, "Hey Jim, uh, what did you do here?" Okay, when has a professor taught you something and then gone back and give it practical application?
1: They don't have a chance to. They've been there for 25 years. They've been
3: years. there for 25 <laughs> years, so what they've yeah. done is they've read a book, and then they said, this is how it's supposed to be done, and then you ask them a question, well, how does that actually work in this scenario, and what do they defer back to? Hmm. So it's personal experiences, which they don't have any of. So that's a unique thing, and I think Drew...
2: So uh, it's funny how he talks about asking my dad a question because... Every time I ask him a question, I already know what his answer is going to be. He's going to have, okay, so what, you know, what are your two solutions? So I have to come to him already with solution, right? Because here's the thing is, at the end, it's going to be me making the choice. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he just wants to make sure I'm just seeing out all my options. But he's never going to just like, you know, two plus two equals four. He's going to be like, well, how can you get to four? You know what yeah. I mean? So let's talk about that. You, uh, you have a,
1: a rule yes. in place. That you criminal thinking now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Personally, I'm like, I think Jim just wants them to answer their own questions. And then Jim's got the, 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 the feet up. Uh, oh, it sounds like a great idea you put together. Yeah. But let's talk about this. So uh, the other day I uh, came to Jim with a question, um, just like you guys had said. And there's a rule in place. Can you explain the rule when you're coming to somebody? Because we are here. You are here. Yeah. As the maker of kings, you are here as the person who are bringing up people to be prominent and, and uh, people in their society and in their rings of influence. Sure. Why do you have this rule in play? What's the rule and why do you have it in place? Well,
0: it's the, it's, I, I ask for three options, alternatives, or solutions to every problem, right? So when you come to me with a problem, it's we're trained innately to to ask somebody else for, hey, basically you say, I want to get their advice or their input or their opinion, but what you're really saying is, is I'm too lazy to invest in it myself and I don't want to come up with the solution. I basically want you to solve my problem, yeah. right? But if I'm not here, how are you going to solve that problem? And then how are you going to train your men to do the same thing, right? So when you come to me and you say, well, here's, here's my problem, I say, well, what's three options, solutions, and alternatives that you need to come up with? And when you do that, then we'll sit down and discuss those, vet those out. And I may agree with you. I may disagree with you. I may ask you some productive questions. But overall, we're going to come to a solution that we both can buy in and agree to which, that gets the buy-in proper, so then when you go to execute that decision, you've, you've had a hand in making that decision, and so your buy-in is much greater. Rather than you say, hey, what should I do? I tell you to do this, and it starts to go down the path a little ways, and you go, wow, oh, that didn't work, right? So, you're going to wait and, and hesitate and come back and talk to me and go, hey, I went this far down the path, found out that really wasn't what, it, what hmm. I thought, so uh, what about this? So, then it becomes myself, I become a single point of failure, when in fact, I didn't create a, a productive individual who can solve his own... Own problem by asking himself the right question or asking the people that are in his command the right question to get to, get to the proper solution. Hmm. So it's that critical thinking. We talk about developing a critical path to success and using deductive reasoning and logic, right? So if you understand those principles, which we'll get into those in depth, that will help you understand kind of the method to the madness there and why we create a, a higher quality individual than what's currently available in the marketplace. Hmm.